In the last three episodes, I discussed the big ideas of attachment, what it is, why it's important, and how we can nurture a secure attachment with our children. I also mentioned that there are three main types of parenting, and there are two elements that underlie those styles of parenting. There's love and there's authority. Today, we'll be discussing the second foundational element, authority. Because as Elsie Kitching wisely observed, Mother love is not enough to secure for children that continual progress which is necessary if character is to be achieved. You're listening to Simple Wonders, the podcast for parents who want to raise happy, curious, lifelong learners. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Smith, certified family life educator and mama of three. Join me as we explore simple tools to nurture your child's heart and mind. So far, we've discussed the first two principles of Charlotte Mason's 20 principles of education. First, children are born persons, and second, they are not born either good or evil, but with possibilities for both. So for the next few episodes, we'll dive deep into principles three and four. Number three, the principles of authority on one hand and of obedience on the other are natural, necessary, and fundamental. But, number four, These principles are limited by the respect due to the personality of children, which must not be encroached upon, whether by the direct use of fear or love, suggestion or influence, or by any undue play upon any one natural desire. Whether we realize it or not, we are all under authority in some way. We are citizens under the authority of law and regulations in our country, and we are under the authority of God and eternal laws. And although there is a minority of the population that would like society to have no authority, the majority of people understand the necessity of order and predictability that comes from authority. As the basic unit of society, authority in the family is essential. A family cannot function in in anarchy, and parents are the authority. When you think about it, the authority a parent has is more of an absolute monarchy than any other type of government. For an independent democratic American, this phrase really makes me cringe. Probably because there's so many examples from history of self-serving, dominating monarchs that abuse their power. But families can't really function as a republic or a democratic society. If all the important decisions were left up to a majority vote, At least in my household, screen time would be increased to eight hours a day, and we'd be eating chicken nuggets and ice cream for every meal. It just doesn't work that way. Parents, we are given authority by God to rule over our children. But there are two ways of using rule as a verb. To control the will and actions of others, either by arbitrary power and authority, or by established laws. And that's from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. In the past, many people have ruled over others with arbitrary power, but a righteous authority rules with established laws. And we'll go over this in a little bit. Whether we want it or not, whether we feel capable or not, authority has been given to us parents. In regards to the office of parenthood, Charlotte Mason said, Helpers he may have, but the moment he makes over his functions and authority to another, the rights of parenthood belong to that other and not to him. 
We see this happening more and more as childcare is deputed to daycares and schools, and consequently, there is a rise in peer orientation and resistance to parental authority. Dr. Leonard Sachs, a physician and psychiatrist, speaks of this extensively in his book, The Collapse of Parenting. And as much as we'd like to, we cannot have our cake and eat it too. Authority and docility happen naturally when a person has experience and knowledge in a certain area and others put their trust in that person. They naturally, those under authority, naturally become docile, which means teachable and obedient to the person in authority. This is most obvious in the relationship between parents and children, and this is where children first form an understanding and role of authority. As a matter of fact, studies on parental authority are beginning to reveal that the type of parenting a child experiences at home influences the way they view government authority and consequently how they vote later in life, either conservative or liberal. Miss Mason saw this phenomenon in her day and said this of the family influence on society. Here is the divine order, which every family is called upon to fulfill. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and therefore it matters infinitely that every family should realize the nature and obligation of the family bond. For as water cannot rise above its source, neither can we live at a higher level than that of the conception we form of our place and use in life. As a society, our culture and morals can never rise above what is learned in the family. And, as, and a healthy view of authority and docility must be learned in the home. So I've thrown out the word docility quite a bit. And I don't know about you, but before I started reading Charlotte Mason, I had really no idea what that means. You hear it every once in a while, but not often. So Mason said, in regards to a docility, that principle in us which brings us into subjection to authority is docility, teachableness, and that also is universal, um, just like authority. If a man in the pride of his heart declines other authority, he will submit himself slavishly to his star or his destiny. It would seem that the exercise of docility is as natural and necessary as, as that of reason or imagination. And the two principles of authority and docility act in every life precisely as do those two elemental principles which enable the earth to maintain its orbit, the one drawing it towards the sun, the other as constantly driving it into space. Between the two, the earth maintains a more or less middle course and the days go on. Honestly, I didn't really understand authority or docility until I began studying Miss Mason's volumes. It just is not something that we talk about in everyday life. And they weren't even mentioned once in all of my university classes on parenting and child development. In parenting books, these might, these elements might be mentioned in practical terms, such as expectations or setting boundaries, but it really, it never goes in, expands into the deeper principle of authority. Um, it's just they're rarely discussed, which is why I feel it's really important for us to discuss them today. To understand why a healthy authority is fundamental in the home, we need to understand authority's purpose. Although there may be many purposes, the main one I want to focus on right now is, this, is that it's for the service of those under authority. 
I'm going to say that again. The purpose of authority is to serve those under authority. Let's look at a few of the ways that we serve our children by exercising authority. So first, safety. An authority figure provides safety and security. A major reason children attach their parents is that they feel safe and secure with that person. They seek out adults that are consistent, reliable, knowledgeable, kind. They feel safe. The leaders and authorities we trust most in all areas of life are the ones that make us feel safe. So think about it this way. You're on an airplane and you've flown on airplanes often. Well, the plane hits some turbulence, but this is the worst turbulence that you've ever experienced. You need to put your seatbelt on tight to keep from flying out of your seat. And everyone is getting really nervous. You're getting nervous. You're starting to feel sick and you anxiously await the pilot's announcement to hear what's going on and what the plan is. Well, let's say the pilot gets on. So imagine the pilot gets on the loudspeaker and he says, holy cow, people, this is the worst turbulence I've ever seen. I have no training for this. I don't know what to do. Why don't we all just get together and vote on what we should do next? Now that would not give you much confidence. And you would not feel safe with that pilot. Now imagine the pilot gets on and says, everyone, I know this is very uncomfortable. Uh, Don't worry. I've got this under control. I've seen this many times. We're just going through some some thick clouds. We're going to be getting it out, out of it. And, you know, the next 10 or 15 minutes, just hold on. And don't worry. We'll be out of it soon. Now think about the difference between those two. You have put your trust in the pilot as an authority figure. And when he shows that by showing that he has knowledge and confidence in his abilities, you feel safe with him. With the other pilot that says, I need help, I don't know what I'm doing, you do not feel safe. He he has pretty much removed himself as an authority figure because he does not have that knowledge and experience and confidence. So in order for someone to be under authority, they need to be teachable and humble. In the last few episodes on attachment, I discussed how to nurture this in our children, which I call having a tender heart. According to Dr. Gordon Neufeld, to maintain a tender heart, all people must encounter futility, which is simply acknowledging that we cannot change something. In the book, Bringing Up Bebe, The author noticed that French parents actually welcome opportunities for their children to experience frustration, otherwise known as futility, because this is a prime opportunity to learn how to be happy. The French believe that happiness doesn't come from outward circumstances, but by learning self-discipline and how to choose joy and not dwell on the things you can't change. So encountering futility is simply the practice in mastering the skills of contentment and self-regulation. Futility comes as a direct consequence of enforcing limits. Whether that is the natural laws, you cannot jump off of a building because there is gravity. Um, Or maybe it's just saying you cannot have cookies for every meal. Setting those boundaries is the responsibility of those in authority. This means that parents need to have high expectations for their children, 
We need to set limits and maintain structure in our homes so that children can encounter fut futility and develop self-regulation. However, this can backfire on us if we are cold, distant, and harsh when enforcing those limits. In addition to setting the limits, we must show an outpouring of love when our children realize that their desires are futile. To feel deep disappointment is very vulnerable, even more so when we visibly show feelings through tears. So children need an empathetic parent that validates feelings and shows unconditional love while still maintaining limits. The next purpose of authority is to teach those under authority what they ought to do, or in other words, their duties. We all have duties to ourselves and to others, and it is from an authority figure, whether that is God, a parent, coach, teacher, church leader, or manager, that we learn what those duties are. Charlotte Mason said parents have two chief duties to their children. One, to form in his child right habits of thinking and behavior as a parent's chief duty, and to nourish a child daily with loving, right, and noble ideas, we believe to be the parent's next duty. Parents form right habits through example and by intentionally reinforcing or extinguishing certain behaviors. And we teach them what they ought to do through noble ideas. In other words, stories. It's been said that a parent's true purpose is to work themselves out of a job. And I'd say that's the purpose of all authority or righteous authority, to rule and discipline in a way that those under authority gradually develop self-government. Though the emancipation of children is gradual, said Charlotte Mason, they, acqu they acquiring day by day more of the art and science of self-government, yet there comes a day when the parent's right to rule is over. There is nothing left for them but to abdicate gracefully and leave their grown-up sons and daughters free agents. Once I began to comprehend the fundamental importance of authority in a family, I felt a lot of anxiety. And this probably stems from the fact that my children aren't perfect models of, quote, chivalrous temper of proud submission and dignified obedience. <laughs> That's how Mason described the fruits of righteous authority. And maybe you're feeling this way too. I said it in a previous episode, and it's worth saying again, parenting is the hardest thing you will ever do in this life. It is the refiner's fire of your own character. And the quality of our children's behavior is not an indicator, not always an indicator, of the quality of our parenting. We must have knowledge in what our role is as a parent, so we have the confidence and faith to endure to the end and just keep doing what we know is right, even if we don't see immediate fruits from that. So now back to authority. How do we maintain righteous authority in our home? And what does that look like? That's what I asked myself as I was reading Miss Mason's volumes um, and looking at the, my own family and wondering, okay, how can I be a righteous authority figure and what makes me lose my authority? So when people believe their authority comes just from the title, they usually abuse it. Domination, control, manipulation, and arbitrary punishments are usually the outcomes of this mentality. You must do what I say because I'm the parent. 
or king or president, etc. But we have been taught better, Miss Mason said. We know that authority is vested in the office and not in the person. That the moment it is treated as a personal attribute, it is forfeited. We know that a person in authority is a person authorized, and that he who is authorized is under authority. In other words, God authorized us as parents, and we are under authority of God. And the Lord gives us more details about how authority is maintained in Doctrine and Covenants. I'm substituting the word priesthood for parenthood, by the way. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of parenthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. And authority can be revoked with the opposite attributes. He says, The powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principle of righteousness. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true. But when we undertake to cover our sins, or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men, in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves, the Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, amen to the authority of that man or woman. Now let's break that down. Our authority as parents are maintained by persuasion, by patience, gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned. It's not just we are a parent, therefore anything we say goes because we are the parent or the king or the president or whatever it may be. We were given that authority and that authority is maintained by righteous principles. Once we are not righteous or we ask things that are not righteous, then that authority is gone. But our authority can be revoked not only by God, but by our children when we lose their trust and respect when we abuse that authority. And how do we do this? I think this is really interesting. He says, by using our authority to cover our sins, gratify our pride, or exercise control and domination with arbitrary rules and punishments. So I'm thinking on my own self, and it's very humbling to think of all the times I've used my authority as a parent to downplay my own mistakes, um, in other words, to cover my sins, um, to blame them on my child, or attempt to heal my wounded pride by using authority to dominate them. Um, just as an example, I have a son who likes to say very demeaning things when he's angry. Now, he is totally in the wrong, but my pride is wounded, very much so. And I use my authority, or I abuse my authority, to essentially punish him for that. Now, I've talked about this in, in, in the attachment episode about reviling, and how Christ was called all manner of names and was disrespected, and he... His, with his meekness, he bore it all and he ignored it. Now, I don't want to say that it's okay to allow children to go on doing that, but timing is everything. Teaching them when the emotions aren't as high, talking about it in a 
less stressful, less angry disposition is much more effective than trying to address it in the moment. And it really is helpful to think, why am I punishing? Is it because I'm angry? Because my pride was wounded? Because I'm trying to cover up my own mistake? Um, It's very important to look at your own behavior and recognize how you use your authority and how that may be affecting your child's attitude towards your authority. So there are many ways, I just listed a few of my own, but there are many ways that parents and teachers exercise control, dominion, or compulsion in children. Charlotte Mason gave a very thorough list in principle four. She said these principles are limited by the respect due to the personality of children, which must not be encroached upon, whether by the direct use of fear or love, suggestion or influence, or by any or by undue play upon any one natural desire. So we shouldn't use fear, um, punishment, um, anything that would make the child scared. Uh, We shouldn't withdraw our love, use our love as a way to manipulate them. Uh, Suggestion or influence. Um, Those ones are a little bit harder, but um, suggesting or trying to influence them, um, well, so-and-so wouldn't do that. Or if you want to be like so-and-so, then you should do that. Um, Or by any undue play upon any natural desire. So food, manipulate them with their natural desire for food, their natural desire um, for pride. I'm better than others. Um, Oh, you got first in this. Um, a natural desire to be loved or wanted or popular. There's many natural desires that we can play on to get to manipulate their behavior or their personality. The purpose of authority is to build up a child's will, not to break it. Remember, an individual's personality is sacred and the one precious possession of each person. Education's purpose should assist a child to build up and refine their own personality. What Miss Mason is saying is that we shouldn't attempt to take possession of our child's personality and change it through manipulation because what's really happening is we're changing behavior, but we're actually not changing their character. And the purpose of education is to build character, not simply change behavior. So how do we raise up children to become men and women of character without coercion, rewards, punishment, and manipulation? Charlotte Mason said we have three instruments to educate our child's character. Atmosphere, discipline, and life. Now, atmosphere is the natural environment that we are in. Discipline is habits that we either passively or intentionally form in our children and life, living ideas, usually coming from books. When I first read her 20 principles, my heart said, yes, it felt so right. But my mind said, no, I was still fresh out of college and brainwashed with the idea that children are born blank slate and behaviorism was the best way to teach them and discipline. 
It took quite a few years of parenting my own children and studying Charlotte Mason's volumes in my own time to understand her profound wisdom and timeless philosophy. Before I dig into the three instruments of education, we're going to spend a little more time on authority. There's just so much to unpack on this one principle. I can't keep it in one episode. So next time, we'll discuss rewards and punishments in detail, what Charlotte Mason said about them, what research reveals, and how to motivate children without them. And yes, it's totally possible to motivate your children without rewards. I'm really excited to talk about this one next time. So in summary, authority and docility are natural, necessary, and a fundamental part of society. And these two principles are learned in the home. Parents have authority over children, and we are both, parent-child, under the authority of God. Authority is maintained on principles of gentleness, unconditional love, patience, and knowledge. And when we exercise unrighteous authority to cover our own sins, gratify our pride, or just feed our hunger for power, that authority is gone. Children must learn docility and how to deal with futility. Authority exists to teach people what they ought to do and to enforce boundaries to keep um, the child or person and those around them safe. Authority does not mean encroaching on a child's personality through manipulation or coercion. So parents have three instruments available to educate or to teach children. The atmosphere or natural environment that surrounds the child. Discipline, meaning habits of thinking and behavior that are taught intentionally. And life or living ideas that come through books and stories that plant seeds of goodness and loveliness in the child's mind. You can find this episode's show notes, as well as more information about this topic on our website, www.simplewonders.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and or rating the podcast, or even better, share it with friends or family. If you'd like to further support our work here, you can donate by clicking the link in our profile. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to discuss our next topic. Until then, go out and work some wonders.